0: Hello, you're listening to Sarah McCoy, and this is Session 6 of Stress Management, a weekly podcast on biblical character traits that help people cope with difficult trials. I've been a Bible teacher at Awaso First Assembly in Owosso, Oklahoma, for 40 years, and I love the way that God's Word shows itself practical to today, time after time. In this sixth installment, we will examine the role of physical replenishing in stress management, this time as it is demonstrated in an Old Testament story about the prophet Elijah, and then affirmed in verses from the New and Old Testaments. But first, have you heard of a man named Randy Gardner? He's still alive, 71, born in 1948 from San Diego, California, and he set the record when he was 17 years old in 1964, for going without sleep, 11 days and 25 minutes. Now, it's since been broken, but at the time it was quite the conversation starter. He had two friends that would stay with him in shifts at his home. He allowed himself to go outside and walk around some, but most of this 11 days was spent in his room. And he ate normal meals three times a day, but not during the night. But as the days went on, his friends began to note that he was having problems with moodiness, problems with concentration and short term memory, paranoia, hallucinations. And at one point when he was asked to count backwards from a hundred by sevens, he stopped at about 65. When asked why he said he couldn't remember what he was doing. At any rate, the interesting thing was when it was all over, he had to go to bed and sleep for 14 hours straight. And then the next night he slept for 10 hours to recover from that. It was a reminder that human beings cannot function without proper rest. And I'd like to look today at the life of the prophet Elijah and especially at an incident that went on over several days that depleted him completely. So come with me please To about 880 BC, he is doing God's bidding during the time of wicked King Ahab in the northern nation of Israel because by this time Israel has split from southern Judah. And his name means Jehovah is my God. He was from the small town of Tishbe in Gilead, which was east of the Jordan River. He is one of the only two people in the Old Testament who was said not to have died. He was taken up in a flaming chariot at the end of his life in front of the man that he mentored, Elisha. The only other person who did not die in the Old Testament was Enoch in the book of Genesis, someone who was said to have walked with God. We get to 1 Kings 17 and God has had it with the wicked reign of King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. Jezebel was a foreign queen whose God was Baal and she significantly influenced her husband and the entire nation of Israel to turn their hearts away from worshiping Jehovah and to violate Torah and to get involved in worshiping Baal. And in fact, she had hundreds of prophets of Baal at her disposal. And so God finally told Elijah to make an announcement that there would be no rain until he spoke further. So Elijah makes this pronouncement and the famine begins. And for three and a half years, those poor people endured the awful result of no rain. Prices rose. Crops failed, animals died, and people began to get more and more desperate for food. They probably were eventually relegated to only the very deepest wells and rationing water in extreme ways. And During that time, God provided for Elijah by sending him not too far from his original home in Tishbe to a brook called in Scripture, the brook Cherith, he lived in that rural area, and the scripture says that ravens would bring in their claws two times a day meat and bread. If you think about what that has, protein, carbohydrate, and fat. It was a pretty balanced diet. Eventually, the brook dried up, though, and Elijah needed somewhere else to go and be sustained, so God sent him to a community north of Israel it was Sidon or Zarephath and there was a widow there who lived with her only son when he got to this community and spotted this widow she was out gathering sticks to make a fire for the final meal that she was going to prepare for her and her son she had enough flour and oil to make a little pancake of sorts and so he went up to her and asked her to make him one. When she explained that she was going to make one last meal for her son and herself and then die, he said, make it for me instead and God will sustain you. And so she did, and so God did. Every time she went back to her little jar in her kitchen after that, during that famine, there was enough meal and enough oil to make another cake. During that time also, her son became ill and died. She brought him in her anguish and grief to the prophet Elijah, questioning God. Elijah then stretched himself out over the body of that boy three different times, calling on God's mercy, and the boy was raised. But we still haven't gotten to our main text yet. She is his sustenance until it's time for the famine to be over. But then we come to 1 Kings 18 and God is ready to show the people who is really God, him or Baal. And so he asks Elijah to call a challenge or a showdown between him and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Now Mount Carmel was actually a mountain range. It was about 25 miles long and it faced southeast, but it was right on the Mediterranean Sea in northern Israel. That range is now a UNESCO biosphere reserve, and it's really quite a lovely place. But once Elijah's pronouncement gets out, the 450 prophets of Baal that were serving Jezebel were intrigued and interested and they came to Mount Carmel and they listened to his proposal. So Elijah calls them up and he tells them to build an altar and to get a sacrificial bull, which would be a big sacrifice in that time considering the scarcity of pasture and the few animals that were left and to kill that bull and put its body on the altar. But instead of lighting it on fire, in the usual way to call on their prophet ba- on their god Baal to bring to them the fire that would consume that sacrifice he said they would take turns and he would do the same calling on god but he said there's more of you than there is of me so you all go first they did so and hours went by Finally, it gets to be midday. They're still calling on their God and nothing has happened. Elijah begins to taunt them. He says, maybe you better speak louder. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's gone on a trip. And they begin to cut themselves, trying to get their God's attention and blood is running. Pretty soon, pretty much the day has passed and it's become even time. And now it's Elijah's turn. So he slays his bull and puts it on the altar, but he asks on three times for four jars of water to be poured over that sacrifice. Now imagine what a sacrifice it really was to come up with great big jars of water in that time. Maybe people are thinking about what they could have done with that water if they had been allowed to keep it. Wow, I haven't taken a bath in a couple of months. It sure would have been nice if I could have used that water to get clean or I could have washed some dishes or I could have boiled a little bit of rice or maybe I could have cooked a little cereal for my baby. But this 12 jars was poured out liberally over the sacrifice and it filled a trench that had been dug around the altar. And then Elijah prayed a simple prayer prayer and the fire of God soon fell from heaven, and not only did it completely consume the sacrifice, but it licked up all the water around. Then before the people could disperse, Elijah put under arrest and held captive all 450 of those prophets of Baal, and he personally slew them. In fact, now there is a small Carmelite monastery on Mount Carmel. And there is a beautiful, dramatic statue of Elijah made of stone with his sword raised to heaven as he gets ready to slaughter a Baal priest uh, remembering this Bible passage. Well, so far it's been a pretty long day. He's waited, stood by, and mocked as the prophets of Baal have called and called and called on their god And then he has called on the God of Israel. And then after God answers by fire from heaven, he has personally slain by the sword 450 people, if you can even wrap your mind around the carnage and the stress and the awfulness of that as he executes judgment from God on those idolatrous people that have turned the nation away from him, from the Lord. And then he goes up on a mountain nearby with his servant and begins to intercede for rain. The scripture says he puts his face between his knees so he is humbly entreating God to send the rain. And he sends his servant to go look up in the sky because so far it's completely clear. And he's told these people, that God is ready to answer from heaven with rain and end this three and a half year drought. And the people have decided that God is the Lord and not Baal after all. And now he has got to implore God to bring about this rain that has been promised. So six times the servant goes and looks up in the sky and comes back and says, no, there's nothing there. Finally, he sends him one more time, and on the seventh time, the servant comes back and says, I see a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising up over the sea. And Elijah says, that's it. There is a rain coming, and he instructs him to make way and get ready because it's going to come a great, great rain. He also sends a message to ahab that he should get back to his home as quickly as possible and then elijah runs ahead of the chariot clear down to the town of jezreel which was a 30 mile distance if you can imagine after a day like that the lord empowering him to run more than a marathon to jezreel and in fact to be able to beat a chariot of horses In the meantime and in fact it says in verses 44 through 6 that the Lord gave him special strength he tucked his cloak into his belt and ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel when Jezebel hears about everything that has happened at the showdown and when her husband tells her that all 450 of her prophets of Baal have been killed by Elijah She is in a rage, and she declares on her life that Elijah will not survive until this time tomorrow. And so we come to 1 Kings 19, and we take up this very, very stressful time in his life. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, and look on a map and see how very, very long that is and how long it must have taken him, several days. He left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Now, I don't see him as suicidal here, but he has certainly lost his will to live. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Sometimes people have had about all that they can take. And maybe he was having flashbacks of what it was like to slay all those prophets. Maybe the threats that Jezebel made against his life are ringing in his ears. Maybe as he goes back and thinks about How lonely it was to by himself face those prophets at the altar. He becomes overwhelmed and he feels like he cannot do any more. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. I don't know how many hours he had been asleep, but certainly it must have been a long time. Verse 6 says, he looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel didn't chide him. She didn't say, why don't you get up and get busy? You know the Lord can strengthen you. The angel simply said, have something to eat. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. And so he got up and ate and drank. I can imagine that this was no ordinary meal. This was a great meal, like more than a Thanksgiving feast. And I see him taking that cruise of water and chug-a-lugging that water. He's so thirsty, he doesn't even realize how thirsty he had been for so long. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb mountain of God there he went into a cave and spent the night there's more to that interesting story but I want to stop there because the point of this series is stress and Elijah has been through extreme stress physically mentally emotionally and spiritually physically he's endured long hours he personally killed 450 people He ran a 30-mile race. Now he's been en route from Jezreel to Beersheba for days. Mentally, he had a confrontation with hundreds of people who were diametrically opposed to his point of view. Emotionally, he encountered their anger and then their fear. Spiritually, he had to exercise great faith as he called on God to send rain. His credibility was all hinged on whether or not God would really send rain. And his servant kept going back and looking up in the sky, and there was no rain until the seventh time. Long praying is a very physically taxing thing, too, but it is certainly spiritually draining. So what was God's prescription in that particular case for Elijah it was sleep, and it was food. And then also for us, I think he would add to that time. And I would like to look at each of those three things, sleep and nutrition and time. Did you know that Psalm one twenty seven two says, In vain you rise early and stay up late toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. We can call on him and expect that he will keep his promise to allow us to rest. Psalm 3, 4 and 5, David says, I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. He didn't have to toss and turn all night long because every little thing that happened from the day was on his mind. He could give it to God before he went to bed and then expect that God was going to grant him rest. In Mark four, we see a story where Jesus is out on the sea with his disciples. It says a furious squall came up. I'm in verse 37 here. And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. Why would the Messiah need to sleep? Because he was a real man who really got tired after long days of ministry. And when it was time, he made sure that he got some rest. Now he woke up and he calmed the storm. But when they were looking for him, that's what he was doing. So sleep. Something else that helps us with stress is to eat right. In Ecclesiastes 8.15, Solomon says, So I commend the enjoyment of life because nothing is better for a man under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Food is for us to enjoy within reason. And we know so much today about how to eat right, how to balance our diet. You can read from so many different experts the number of calories that would be appropriate, And the fruits and the vegetables and the dairy and the meat or whatever specialized kind of diet you might need would be right for you. It is God's plan that you fuel your body properly. There's a story about a shipwreck that Paul was in in Acts chapter 27. And in fact, that was the subject of podcast number five in this particular series. And during that awful storm, Paul and his comrades had been for a couple of weeks without being able to eat much because they were out on that open sea and tossed and turned. So we come to verse 33, and it says, As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you've continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food. For it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. So good advice was before encountering yet more of this very stressful situation. They should fuel themselves with proper food. Now, of course, you can take it too far. And we know that Proverbs 23, 20, and 21a says, Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty. That's not the point. The point is that our bodies are machines for our spirits to live in and use, and these machines need to be well taken care of with proper food, which will help us cope with the difficulties of life. And then finally, in addition to food and nutrition, God would have us use time as a stress management tool. We go clear back to Genesis 2, and we read the story of creation. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So does that mean that God gets tired and depleted, and he has to stop for a while because he simply can't go on anymore? Of course not. But this is an example for us. We work and then we take time to reflect and we give our time to God and we acknowledge him and we recognize his holiness. You know, this was enshrined in law on the top of Mount Sinai as God spoke to Moses in Exodus 20. He said, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy now we know that you can take this concept too far and become legalistic as some of the Pharisees did when they were critical of Jesus for healing on the Sabbath but Jesus never told us to let this law go this is a timeless principle that predates the law and we need to step back and rest not just in a bed asleep but also during a day each week when we set aside things like paying bills and doing the laundry and catching up on running around town doing errands even if we're not at work and if you have discretionary time and you don't have to work overtime reduce your stress by following the principles of god's word and take time off you're only human And the scripture says he remembers our frame. He knows that we're dust. I like Isaiah 40, 31. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Do you think that part of that hoping in the Lord could include trusting him and obeying his word about the timeless principle of setting aside a day each week to honor him. Jeremiah thirty-one twenty-five tells us, "'I will refresh the weary and satisfy the faint.'" So the point of all of this is, are you weary and stressed? Well, God wants you to rest and refuel. If this podcast has been a blessing to you, please pass it on.